Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the RouterFlex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. On today's episode of the RouterFlex podcast, we have guest Helen Raleigh. She's a certified board candidate, wealth management expert, immigration policy guru, author, and international speaker. She's also the co-founder and CEO of Red Meadow Advisors. I really enjoyed my conversation with Helen. I think you will too. Helen Raleigh on the Rider Flex podcast today. How are you doing, Helen? I'm great. How are you, Steve? Well, I'm hanging in there. You know, we're uh, recording this on uh, April 14th, 2020. So a little bit of a crazy time for us right now, isn't it? It is, but it's also a good opportunity, a good opportunity for us to take the time to uh, reflect on what's important in life and spending more time with people we love and care. So mm. take this as an opportunity as well. You know, isn't that, that's so refreshing. I, I've been really challenging my friends and family lately to just stay positive, you know, just stay positive, positive energy, man. Come on, positive energy. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm talking to people and they're like, oh, doom and gloom. And I just tell them, I, stop it, stop it. I don't want to hear that positive energy. Come on. And you're right. There's so many things that you can, there are some silver linings in here, right? Uh, for, for the listeners, yes. by the way, if the listeners are hearing this a year from now, just we're in the middle of the coronavirus and a lot of us are trapped at home. And uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of, there are some, there's some positive things. One, for example, is I see more families and couples walking down the street together in my neighborhood than I've ever seen, ever. <laughs> yes. You see your neighbor more often. You, yes. you know, the weather has been nice. You get to go outside to breathe fresh air more often. You get to sleep in a little more. Because, you know, <laughs> none of us have plenty of, you know, get enough sleep. So yep. there's so many good things. But most important thing is you get to spend time with people you love and care. That's something we don't do enough. So I really take this with a good stride that this is an opportunity just to slow down and really enjoy and embrace it. I couldn't agree more. You know, I've been in the same house now 24 hours a day with my wife for like 26 days in a row. If you were to ask me six months ago, if I could do that, I'd probably say no <laughs> without her, without her killing me. But, uh, you know, surprisingly, like we're getting along just fine. Like I, I'm amazed at how, you know, we're just getting along just as well as we always have. So anyway, um, kind of a crazy time. So, before we get into career and entrepreneurial stuff, can you give us a little um, personal history? Tell us about you, your family, where you grew up, maybe some just some, some personal stuff, if you don't mind. No, not at all. Um, I'm an immigrant from China, an American by choice. I was born and raised in communist China. Mm. I grew up there and um, I came here as a graduate school student so most of my family were still back in China. I came here all by myself. I, I didn't know anyone. I came here just to go to school. 
So yes, wow. I was all I was all by myself, and I had the last of a hundred dollars in my pocket, and I didn't know how I was going to make it. So I found three part-time jobs where I was enrolled as a full-time graduate school student. One of my so the three jobs I had, I work at the Chinese restaurant as a waitress. I was a um, a tutor. I was a tutor at school, so I tutored okay. in math. Okay. I also worked at the school's uh, computer lab as a help desk assistant, even though I didn't know anything about a computer, but I learned quickly that if you just tell people to reboot when they have a problem, it'll fix 99% the <laughs> <laughs> problem. Now, so now is, is yeah. this when you, you were going to Wyoming to get your MBA? No, no, I had two master degrees in the United States. So the, MBA at the University of Wyoming was my second master. My first okay. master was in upstate New York. At, uh, I got a master's degree in business economics. I see. Okay. Okay. So your first stop from China was upstate New York. Whereabouts? It's, called, it's a small town between Albany and the Binghamton called Onyanta. Okay. All right. All right. Very good. Okay. So you're working three jobs, going to grad school. I guess your English was good, huh? okay back then <laughs> oh wow that must have was that super scary not knowing i mean that had to wow did you have some sleepless nights where you're crying yourself to sleep not to get too emotional but i just can't even imagine it was very it was very scary but what helped sustain me was the love and support from my family mm -hmm. uh, back then the internet was not as prevalent as we have it today and so you have to make international phone calls which was very expensive it cost three dollars per minute so obviously i couldn't afford it so i didn't get to talk to my family very often so what my family did was everybody in my family took turns to write me a letter so every week i will i would receive a letter from someone from my family wow the letter was always full of encouragement they keep me updated about what's going on like my brother got married and, you know, they had a baby and you know, all the things I missed, they kept me updated. And also my parents are really, my parents were really cute. When I, I would also write them back and then they would critique about how I losing my Chinese abilities. Like I have misspelled words in my letters. <laughs> <laughs> so they try to make sure I do not forget about my Chinese. So they, my dad would cut, Chinese poems from Chinese newspapers and send it to me to make sure I still remember Chinese. How about that? Now, did your spirit, did your parents speak English? No, they do not. So, so how did you learn English in high school before you came over? Is that how that, how, how did that work? I'm just curious. So yes, I learned English in high school and the college when okay. I was in China, when okay. I was in okay. China. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. All right. All right. So you're in upstate New York, you're working three jobs, you're going to grad school. Um, did you have, and, and then did you have a plan? Did you know what you wanted to be and what you wanted to do? I pretty much make up as I <laughs> made up <laughs> as I was going because like I said, no one, I was the first one from my family to come here. So I basically have to charge a whole new territory. Nobody can guide me to see how, how I'm going to go about this. Wow. And one thing, one thing that was very helpful was that I also became a Christian. One ah. year after I arrived in upstate New York, so that helped the faith at the church really was a tremendous support in addition mm. to my family. And when I, when I graduated from the upstate New York with the master's degree in business economics, I 
I was told that my only career path was to become a teacher, a professor. And I didn't really want to become a teacher or professor back then. So okay. that's when I pursued the, went to Wyoming, pursued the MBA degree because I really want to get into the business. I really want to work in a business and make money and get into someday, maybe have my own business. I was, I was so focused on that's where I wanted to go. So it took me three days and three nights riding a Greyhound bus from upstate New York to Laramie, Wyoming to start my second master's degree. Wow. And you, okay, now let me just take a pause there. <laughs> Laramie, Wyoming is like a completely different planet from probably anything you had ever seen or been around, right? I mean, completely yes. different culture. I mean, wow. Holy cow. That must have, <laughs> I can't imagine yeah, what you're it was. <laughs> I can't imagine what your first week must have been like there. <laughs> well, talk about, forget about first week, talk about first five minutes, because <laughs> from upstate New York to Wyoming, you know, I talk about riding three days and three nights. Right. So you just see the scenery changes from very crowded city yeah. to very open space. But then also, it's, you know, Wyoming is a beautiful state. So you see blue skies, you don't see a lot of people. And I remember when the bus dropped me off at the Greyhound bus station, it was outside of Laramie. It was such a small building too. I was just totally shocked. I kept <laughs> asking myself, what have you done? Um, but it wasn't, it, it turned out much nicer than I imagined that, that, that the, uh, bed and uh, the owner of a bed and breakfast came to pick me up with his pickup truck. So the first time I had to climb into a pick pickup truck, I was I was I was secretly praying that he would not murder me. And he, you know, he was really nice. It was just uh, it was just so many unknowns. I nowadays I'm looking back, I was, it was scary. But back then I was just fearless. Just like you know what, I'm charting my own fate. This is what my own destiny. This is where I, where I wanted to go. I'm just gonna go for it. I love it. I mean, wow. That's some story. Yeah, you got to be awful brave to do that. Yeah, I can't. I, I'm visualizing you climbing into that pickup truck thinking, okay, I don't know if this is going to be okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and you know, yeah, and by the way, for, for all the people from Wyoming listening to this podcast, hey, Wyoming is great when the wind's not blowing and it's not two degrees. Wyoming's awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, beautiful. University of Wyoming is wonderful. Yeah. So, okay. So you get to Wyoming, all right? You, you get another, and this time you get your MBA in finance. Is that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Were you always good with numbers and everything? Uh, that was, was that your specialty? Generally speaking, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty good with numbers. Okay. I also like writing, but I didn't see back then. I didn't see a career as a writer. So mm -hmm. I decided to go for the business route. Okay. All right. So you get your, you get your second master's and you spend a couple of years in Wyoming. Then what happens? Tell me, walk us into your career now. Go ahead. Sure. So right before I graduated from University of Wyoming, I, I went to Denver for a job interview. I was high, uh, back then, uh, Citibank has a branch, a credit card operation in Denver. So okay. they hired me, offered me my very first job. And I remember it's a, uh, the, the group I work with was all men. So my, I remember my boss told me I was the first one without beard that he ever hired. <laughs> and, and he told me, he said, you know, there are only three people in the finance world, the former city banker, the current city banker, and the future city banker. And that turned out to be true. Everywhere I go since then, everybody I met, 
they either work at a city bank before, or they currently work at a city banker, or sometime in the future they would work for a city bank. It just uh, it was a very interesting experience. So still no no family, and now you probably had made some friends at that time. I'm guessing, but when you moved from Wyoming from Laramie to Denver to take that job Mm -hmm. by yourself, just by yourself, were you were you all alone? Yes. Yep. You were. Wow. Yes. Okay. So for every time I moved to a new place, I was always the first, the only person moved there. And then I would start making friends and, you know, meeting people. And one thing I have to say is um, <laughs> many times, like I said, I have to just make it as I make it, make up the plan as I go. And at the same time, I'm incredibly blessed by meeting many, many generous and kind people. You know, I wouldn't be here if not for many, many generous and kind people, mm-hmm. people I met from church, my mm-hmm. neighbors, and mm-hmm. people from work. They mm-hmm. taught me many, many things. And whenever I need help, they're always there. So from that perspective, I am very blessed. I was never really alone at the same time. Were you looking for other people from China to, to hang out with just so you could have something in common? Were you like trying to find other? Of course, back then in 1999, it wasn't like you could just go on Facebook and join a group you know you know <laughs> well i i didn't specifically seek out chinese people i just want to make friends to gotcha. any anyone who who's interested but gotcha. one thing one thing good about denver was back then denver has one chinese grocery store oh which was you know if you're homesick you, you know you can take a girl out of china but you cannot take china out of a girl <laughs> so that's the groceries where you can buy you know, when you're homesick, you can you can go buy ingredients. You can go buy the vegetable you miss it to make a to make a home meal. So that's something that's really helped too. I see, I see. Okay, all right. So cool. You spent six years at City at Citibank, I think, right? As, yeah, close to that five five six years. Yeah. Okay. All right. Go ahead and walk us through. Go ahead and walk us through a little bit more of your career before we get into your current business. Yeah. Go ahead. I would. I'm just curious. Go ahead. Sure. So at the City Bank, I because it's an international bank, I was able to do many amazing projects like launching credit cards and learning about the credit credit risk and formulate strategies, risk management strategies. And from there, I offered I was offered a job by Daimler Chrysler in Michigan and also working for their financial division. So I moved. I had a second cross country trip. Mm-hmm. I moved from Denver to me. Denver to Michigan, and from there that um, I get to do some another amazing pro- sets of projects too, like launching the uh, bring the smart car to the U.S. and also helped during the financial crisis. I was a part of the project team to help separate, basically help the divorce between Daimler and the Chrysler. So mm-hmm. so it's it's a, a giant messy financial pro you know a mm-hmm. project, but it was a mm-hmm. really a great learning learning experience as well. Oh, and yeah, then great. from there, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And then from there, you know, I, I got another job offer back to Denver um, to working for the state pension fund. And so that's another. So, so I basically, my whole career, I've been moving from different segments of, but still within this financial services umbrella. Okay. So I have okay. a lot of experiences throughout this um, financial services industry um, through credit cards, risk management. Uh, brand, global branding, marketing, and mm-hmm. the investment and the pension. So I have a, in the last mm-hmm. 20 years, I've been moving through this entire 
industry through many, many different sectors. I'm guessing that you jumped at the chance to move back to Denver after having lived in Detroit for a little while, right? You, were you thinking, oh yeah, I got to get back to Denver? <laughs> I don't want you bad mouth about the Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we won't do that. All right. So anyway, so tell me, so after a, a very successful career, at some point you said, I want to jump out and start my own thing. Talk, talk to us about your decision around being an entrepreneur and starting Red Meadow Advisors. Go ahead. Sure. Red Meadow Red Advisors is a mission-driven business um, because I think I looking back at my own experience as immigrant, I came here with nothing. There was literally nothing. I had less than $100 in my pocket. And I got an education. I got a good job. I saved and invested. And basically, I'm looking back at my own journey. I realized that, um, you know, it's not the circumstances will determine how your life's going to turn out. Mm -hmm. It's your attitude. It's your value. It's, it's, it's what really drives you. And it's your actions. It's really your behavior. It's your actions. So when I was working at the state pension fund, I realized I could do better. This is something I'm really passionate about. And, uh, and also, I have the experience. I have life experience to share. I have the knowledge and the life, life experience to share. So I decided to start a mission-driven business, which is Red Metal Advisors. Um, mm. I emphasize on my website, our, my mission for, through this business is to help other people achieve financial freedom that they, they desire. So because to me, freedom is the driving value. You know, I came from a country that's not free. That you do not you do not get to choose how mm, you know mm. how you want to live your life, what you can say or do. So to me, freedom is freedom is important. I, I want to help other people to achieve the financial freedom, so they get to live the life they want to. They mm. get to determine their own destiny. So that is how I started Red Metal Advisor as a mission driven business. And who who's a typical client for you? Like I mean, is walk us through like a a. a you know, your target client and things like that. Go ahead. Well, I'm willing to help anyone who, who wants to help and who, need, who needs to be helped. Uh, most of my clients actually are women. I didn't set out to, to help women only, um, but it turns out that um, women love to work with women. And uh, also there's a lot of needs, financial uh, needs for women because women live longer, women are getting more educated, are making more mm -hmm. money, and yet our industry, the financial services industry, is very male-driven. And so many women share with me experience that there is similar experiences. Uh, for example, when they and their spouse went to visit a financial advisor, usually is a guy. And uh, the guys always say, oh, honey, don't worry about it. You know, your husband and I will talk about this and we'll figure it out. You just, you know, you, you just rest. And <laughs> most, yeah, so most women do not like that. You know, yeah, they, no, I, I could, no. <laughs> yes, yes. They, they want to be actively, they want to be actively involved. And so, so once, once they know there's a, a female advisors like me who's working with them and uh, I, I, I always very patient. I spend a lot of time educating my client. And because also, because most of my clients are women, we talk about more than just finances. Uh -huh. we, talk about, we talk about life, we talk about things we concerns uh, in their life, things they, 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 we share joys, we share sorrows. And so all my clients are 
friends of mine too. You're we like a therapist. So you're a, th you're a therapist. Do you charge them an additional yeah. fee to be a therapist? <laughs> no, I do not. I, I do not do that. But you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I just value those relationship because to me, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. It's an enriching. It's the, this kind of relationship enriching both of us. You know, mm. but me and me and my clients at the same time. You know, when I experience challenges in my life, they are always there for me too. So, and this is what I like as a entrepreneur. Yes, I take the risks. Um, I manage my own schedule. I manage my own business. But at the same time, I get to choose who I want to work with right. and establish a great relationship that way. And, you know, one thing I learned from this throughout this whole pandemic is really nothing else matters. It's the time you spend with people you care, you love. is the most important thing it, there is. Nothing else really matters. When you so, said exactly. when you said help help clients reach financial freedom, what's your mm -hmm. definition of that? So it depends on the clients, right? For some people, if they have a million dollars, they'll they'll finally free to get to do what they want. For some people, maybe five hundred thousand is enough. For some, so it's not exactly exactly a dollar figure. Mm. It's really I always ask my clients. You know, we talk about the dreams and aspirations. What do you want to achieve in life? What are your goals? And then based on your goals, what do you want to achieve in life? Then we identify what are the financial barriers? What are the things prevent you to get there? Then we make a, then we make a plan from there to help you get there. So for everybody, their aspirations and the goals in life are different. So to them, the definition, how can they get there, that financial freedom is different too. But the feeling is the same. When you, when you have that financial ah. freedom, when money is not an object, you can do whatever you want to do meaning, and live a meaningful life, you know you have that financial freedom. So mm. I always tell my client, financial freedom is not a dollar figure. It's a mentality. When you feel free, that you have that financial freedom. I couldn't agree more. And I, I don't think I realized that when I was younger, but I, as I get older, I, I think of it that way. I think of it as if, if I'm able to just do certain things I like to do, it's not necessarily a dollar figure I'm after. Uh, you know what I mean? I, like if you were to ask, yeah, if you were to ask, if you were to ask me to define financial freedom, I would say um, be an entrepreneur so that I could, you know, do what I wanted to without having an immediate boss. Uh, I want to be able to uh, go camping uh, on Friday afternoons in my Jeep and go camping in the mountains whenever I want to without having to ask somebody and mm -hmm. uh, have a have a cold beer and eat pizza whenever I want. Like that's my that's my financial freedom. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Everybody I mean, has their own definitions, but it's a mentality. <laughs> Right. It, 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 it takes experience. Totally it, it takes some guidance to reach that mentality. Experience, I think, is a key word that you just mentioned there. For, for me, it is about chasing experiences, not material things. Uh, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I heard somebody, it wasn't my quote, but uh, I, I, I heard a young lady say one time, she said, I want my life to be about the experiences I'm chasing, not about the material things that I gather. I thought that was pretty powerful. <laughs> uh, now, now, when I hear when I hear wealth management, which is mm -hmm. what one of the things you provide at Red Meadow Advisors, every time I see that, right? I know there's a lot of people that do that for a living. Every time I see that, mm -hmm. I always think to myself, "Well, 
okay, well, I guess that's not me. I guess I shouldn't call her because I'm not independently wealthy. So I guess I wouldn't be a client for her. Talk to us about that. Is well, that yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it, it, it's, about a man, it's about a mentality. And I, I can't emphasize this enough. It's about behavior and it's about a mentality. I have a client, uh, I have a, a client who was a gold miner. You know, he's in his 80s. He was a gold miner. Really? He never made more than $50,000 in his entire life. I, I, yet, and his wife would never worked. Yet they raised three children and they're, he's comfortably retired. They, ha, they have no debt. And uh, he just, you know, his only leisure was, you know, besides take care of his garden and spend time with his wife, his only trade for himself was once in a while, goes to the Blackhawk, you know, to, to play, play a few heads. But, <laughs> but, but he lives such a comfortable life. You know, he right. has... He has no debt, he has no worries, and that is a mentality. And we talked about this earlier. You know, you, you want some free advice. The, the advice is really common sense. You know, you, you spend less than what you make. You always <laughs> save for the rainy days. And you invest for the long term. You know, do not allow any emotional or external events to determine, you know, to cloud your judgment. All these are common sense stuff. I actually wrote a book. It's a very short book called uh, "Invest Like a Zen Master." So invest many like people say, invest like a Zen master. Okay. Yeah, it's available on Amazon. So okay. it's not a I at the uh, forward I mentioned that this book is not about uh, any secret hot stock tips. It's really about help you establish this man, Zen master like mentality. And if you can reach that, focus on long term, live below you know, live below your means, spend less than what you make, and always think of saving for the rainy days, you will achieve that financial freedom, you will achieve that wealth, you know, over the long term. You know, um, I want to come back to um, this, this, the word wealth management for a minute. But first, I want to, mm -hmm. I want to mention something, you know, the, the common sense that you talked about. I'm always amazed when I meet people or I'm around somebody that is completely leveraged and they just don't have any extra cash to do things. Perfect example. It's a true story. A friend of mine, you know, we're over to his house. He's got a brand new fifth wheel camper sitting out back. He's got some other new toys sitting around. He spent a bunch of money on some other things, material things that were at his place. And I said, uh, I said, Hey man, let's, um, let's get the wives and go to dinner to, you know, Friday night. And he goes, Oh yeah. You know, we really just don't have the money right now. And have to wait till payday. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? Like you, you don't have the money to make to, you can't just go to dinner because you are so leveraged. Meanwhile, you got all these toys sitting around in your yard. I, I just shook my head. I said, what are you doing, man? Like you, 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 I said, you better yeah. check yourself. You're not living in the right way. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's really personal choice, personal choices. Right. So wealth management is really life management is really it, behavior it, management. Yeah. If you do not choose the right path, you know, the material thing, that's why I'm saying, Wealth is not married by, by a dollar figure. The material things does, uh, do not represent wealth. Because mm -hmm. like you mentioned, your friend, he's so leveraged. 
that he doesn't have the free financial freedom, right? He's right. not wealthy because right. he's constantly worried about how to pay for the next bill. So right. those things he acquired doesn't really bring him joy. So That's if right. you're not, if you do not live in a joyful, free life, mm-hmm. you are not wealthy. At least not the wealth in, in, in the way we're talking about the mentality. Mm, that's that's great stuff. That is great stuff, Helen. Really good stuff there. Back to the wealth management word, though. So, can I afford you? My question is, can I? I don't. Have, you don't have to mention your prices on the podcast. But when I see people that say, "Hey, I'm a wealth management advisor," I just immediately think, "Well, I can't afford. I, like, I'm not rich enough to hire somebody like that." Um, do you have to? Do you have to be a millionaire to be one of your clients, or or, or can I? Can a regular person call you? <laughs> What are your yes. thoughts? You, any, any regular person. Yeah. Any regular person can call me and I have my website, you know, contact information on my website, redmetaldivisors.com. And so I can, I can just give you a little quick examples. So sure. I provide two types of services. One type of services is called the financial planning. So if you just want some guidance to say, okay, help me make a plan. This is what I want to do. Help me, show me how can I, what do I need to do to get there? I can create a financial plan for you. And that is a, a fee. I'm, I'm a fee owner advisor. So that will come with hourly fee. And we always negotiate the hourly fee in advance. So it will not become a shock at the very end, that, you know, when you have the plan. So if you just want the financial planning service, I can help you create a plan, basically a roadmap, what you can do from now, from now on to help you get to where you want to be to achieve that freedom. And you take this, you go implement you know, yourself. So that's one way. Another way is you, if you like my plan, you say, you know what? I want you to help, help me manage the money. You know, I want you to manage my retirement. I want you to manage my money I save for, for the next house, for a college investment. So I can do that. And I charge a, uh, my fee is a percentage based on asset under management. So let's say, for example, if it's 1% and if you have $100,000, you know, that would be $1,000, you know, the, the percentage is on an annual basis. So it's not super expensive. Actually, many advisors are uh, pretty much in line with what I do are affordable. Um, but a couple of things you have to watch out when you talk to a potential advisor that you want to work with, you should always ask about the fee. Yes, you know, the cost. Um, you should ask about a cost, whether they charge a fee only or it's a combination of fee and the commission. So ah. you need to figure out how, yeah, how they want to be paid. And, and so that's one thing. And second thing is, by the way, I mentioned, I gave all these tips in the book, invest like a Zen master, because you want to choose the real master, not the fake, not the <laughs> fake master, right? So, so you should always know how much it's going to cost you and how you're going to be able to pay for the, the, the cost of the service. But the second thing, which is even more important than the first one, is make sure, uh, understand if they actually going to take your money. What I mean is, so in the state of Colorado, there's extra scrutiny for advisors who not only invest their clients' money, but actually take a custody of their clients' money. Okay, mm. um, like in my case, I do not take a custody of my clients' money. So I, I work with a brokerage firm. So my when my client when a clients want to work with me, they actually open their account with the brokerage firm. So they deposit their money there. So all the client give me authorized me to do is to access their account to make investment decisions. I see. But I cannot take money out of their account. 
So this way can prevent the Bernie Madoff situation. <laughs> Bernie Madoff, you know, uh, he yes. was able to defraud the millions of dollars his clients because he actually take custody of the client's money. I so see. he's the one taking the money and also produce fake reports. So her, his clients have no, had no way to verify is my accounts really, you know, increased 20, 30% the last month. They have no way to verify because he's the one provide all the information. Mm. So the way I, the way I make the arrangement is I do not take custody of a client's money. So this way the clients have a separate relationship with the brokerage. They can access their money whenever they want to. And they can also see the brokerage will provide them with monthly reports and then I will provide my clients with quarterly reports so they can match with the numbers, you know, to see if there's any differences between the, between the numbers. So, and if they don't like me, you know, they can, they can fire me and they still have custody of their own money. So I, I do not have custody of their money. So that's a very, that's a safety measure. Not every investment advisor do that. So it's very important that when you go out shopping for your investment advisor, not only you should know how much they cost, but also make sure you understand what's the custody arrangements. I see. Do the, you know, does the advisor take custody of your money? If they do, nine out of 10 times, I suggest you go the other way. Okay. <laughs> you know, okay. run. Um, okay. And, but if they don't take the custody of the client money, then maybe you want to have that, that. To me, that's a good sign. You want to have a further conversation with them. Oh, that is great advice for the listeners. Thank you for sharing that. When you stepped out, by the way, to start your own business, was it super scary? I mean, talk, talk to us about that moment when you just quit your, did you just quit your job and say, I'm going to do my own thing. And when you did start, did you have a client right away or walk us through that trend, that scary transition? Well, it was scary when I decided to I want to start my, give up a comfortable job. I want to start my own business. Um, unfortunately, I have my husband who is very supportive and he was really encouraging. He's, he encouraged me to do this. He knows, he knows that I will do well. And I also, honestly, Steve, it's not the most scary thing I have ever done. <laughs> given right? That I, right? Yeah, given that <laughs> I came to this country all by myself with nothing yeah. in my pocket, not right. sure where I'm yeah. going, didn't know anyone. So this is not, at least I started at a much better position than when I started 20 years ago. And so when I first started, I did not have a client. Didn't have uh, a client. Sis, I did not have a client. My sister-in-law took a pity on me. She became my first client. So <laughs> I, saved, I saved the check she wrote, she wrote to me. I didn't cash it because I'm like, this is my first check I received. Awesome. I free, my husband made me a wood frame. You know, That's he likes cool. to do work, so I made me a wood frame. So I framed that first check I received. So, That's great. You know, just that's just the story of my life. I many times I start, yeah, I just go for it. I start from zero, not sure, not knowing where this is gonna go. But I think with a laser like focus and that dedication, and also believe in my mission or the value that I present, it always leads me to somewhere nice that I didn't totally explain, expected or planned for. So I'm I'm not worried about that at all. And you've been in your business now for nine years, right? Something like that. Nine or 10 years? Yeah, scary to think about it. Close I mean, to, yes. that's, that's um, I mean, you've already beat the average, right? The average entrepreneur, I can't remember what the stat is, but uh, hey, you've already ran your own thing for nine years. That's already a major success. And do you have any employees or you just run it yourself? 
I'm learning my I'm learning myself. That's a that's another amazing thing is with today's technology, um, you, you can run the you can manage yeah. multi millions dollars all by yourself. And of course, yeah. you know I work with the brokerage firm, so they provide the trading platform, a lot of uh, wonderful back office back office uh, uh, services that uh, you know used to you you have to hire your own people to do it, but now they can do it with very reasonable cost. So yes, I think a technology make it this so much easier uh, to do something like, you know, some, something like this. Mm, okay, well, congratulations on the business you've had. Now, can we talk for a minute too? Um, I know that uh, we're connected through our friend, uh, Michelle Ashby, and uh, you, I think, went through her certification to be a, a board member. Is that right? And can you talk a little bit about your aspirations there around uh, being on some boards? Go ahead. Yeah, thank, thank you for asking that. By the way, I love Michelle, and she's a serial entrepreneur herself. And right. I was really inspired by her when I heard one of her talks that she mentioned that she's also served as a corporate board member for several corporations. And she described it as a, this is a bigger table, right? The corporate boards are the biggest table you can imagine that the where most powerful decisions, impactful decisions are made at the corporate level, especially given the economy, the important role the corporations mm -hmm. play in our economy. And she really inspired me, something I didn't think about it before, but you know, I'm always kind of person, I always looking for new ways, new ways to live your life, to look for new challenges. So I signed up to her uh, certification program it was a very challenging. She's like drill sergeant. You got no break. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it, it was exhausting, but also intellectually stimulating at the same time. Mm. After I finished her program, my aspiration is to be able to serve uh, as a board member um, to serve on um, small to medium sized uh, corporations in the United States. I believe I have a lot to offer given my mm -hmm. immigration experience, given my over 20, over 20 years uh, experience in various sectors of the financial industries and my language skills, I speak multiple languages and also cultural background. And, and also there's needs. We all, we all know that the diversity helps improve decision-making. And yes. we also know that uh, there's not enough women and minorities sitting mm -hmm. on corporate boards in the United mm -hmm. States. So, right. so I believe I have a lot to offer in this, uh, in, you know, in this new, I would describe a new path. And at the same time, I also want to be a role model for other young women, especially minority women, to say this is something more of us should be aspired to and hoping you know, never be afraid to be aspired to have a seat at the bigger table, the biggest table ever, yeah. to, yep. to be part of the uh, decision-making business, uh, the, the decision-making process. Yeah. You know, uh, afraid is not a word that I would ever associate with you, because I don't think you're afraid of anything. <laughs> Uh, you sure I'm gonna... afraid, <laughs> but I manage, I manage my, uh, you know, I manage my fear. Yeah. yeah, you sure do. That's for sure. You know, I hadn't thought about it till we started talking. I wonder how many immigrants from China that are female executives set on boards today in the United States. I bet it's not very, I bet that's a small number. What do you think? Probably. 
All the oh, definitely, it's a small number. I mean, just women in general is a small right. number. Right. I think it's less than twenty percent of women's are right. Right. Are sitting on corporate boards. So yeah. So but you know, as a minority women, there's even more challenging. There's, oh man, yeah. You know, because yep. you know something inside information for your listeners that the way corporate boards they're looking for a future board member is because it's a, such a close linked network of of people and they all share similar backgrounds and maybe mm -hmm. live in a similar type of zip code so yep. it's a, yep. and they do not it's not like when they lead a board member they're gonna post it on LinkedIn they don't they don't do that it's, yeah. so it's very network driven and I think that that. That kind of a model is especially challenging for uh, minority women that, that mm -hmm. we do not have the traditional career path and or not the same zip code or culture, mm -hmm. social economic mm -hmm. background compared to the traditional board members. So it, it's it's especially challenging for us to try to break into this network to say, hey, here's what I can offer. I have all this mm -hmm. wonderful experience, life experiences and the knowledge and the, you know, career, you know, exciting career paths that I have so much to offer. But unless you made it known in break into that network, nobody's going to find you. So, mm -hmm. so that's especially challenging. That's, that's actually motivated me want to do this even more. So maybe someday I can write a book about it to help <laughs> other people say, hey, so here's the secret passageway you can get, you know, break into this network. You know, I, I was just thinking, wouldn't you be the perfect board member for a company based here that, you know, brings in all of their goods from China? Maybe they have a China office. Maybe they have employees in China. You know, I mean, you're, you're perfect. You're the perfect board member for that type of company, right? I mean, it's a perfect setup because uh, you understand both cultures. You you can speak both languages. I mean, just all of it. I, that's a, it's a perfect match. I would think somebody would grab you up for that pretty quick. Uh, for sure. I hope so. I hope one of your <laughs> listen. I hope one of your listeners will contact me after this. Uh, yeah, definitely. Okay. I appreciate you sharing all that. Thank you uh, very much. So kind of, you know, wrapping up here, um, can I ask you a couple of more kind of summary questions? Sure. First of all, you, 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 you've touched on, a lot of this already, but I like to ask this question to just about everybody that comes on the show. Um, if you could call that young lady that stepped off the airplane that day, would you tell her, what would you tell her? What would I tell her? Well, there's definitely one thing I, I would tell her is do not take a perceived weakness as a barrier for future success. Learn Ooh. to take, learn, learn to learn how to turn a lemon, lemon to a lemonade. And here's a quick example. You probably noticed, you know, I speak English with accent. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, it really bothers me. Because, well, sometimes it's because people will react to it, ask me to repeat myself. And that makes me nervous. And also people will always ask, when they hear me talk, they will always ask me where I came from. And it's never enough if I say Colorado or whatever. Uh, it has to go back to the very, the very town in China where I came from. And I just feel, so all those reactions made me feel like I do not belong. Uh, uh, I need 
need to do better. And, and, and I also had one time in my career, I also had someone told me that uh, he would not recommend me to the next promotion because he didn't think my English was good enough. Mm. And so, so all those things really uh, bothers me. And I spent money. I hired a coaches, uh, voice coaches. I hired English teachers, just try to, uh, you know, get rid of this accent, right? I, I spent all this effort because I, I feel like this is a barrier, you know, I need to overcome mm. this. Mm. And then later I read this uh, article, which says, you know, if you start if you start learning another language after age 13, you will never get rid of your accent because by age 13, the way how you speak, you know, the muscles, your tongues, the movement mm -hmm. is pretty set by your hometown. So when you learn a new language after age 13, yeah, you can master that language. You're just never going to get rid of your accent. Oh, I was destroyed by that article. So, <laughs> so, I'm, so I feel like all this effort I spend to try to get rid of it is really just in vain. So I will, I will always be treated as someone who don't belong here, doesn't belong here. I will always be treated as someone who's not smart enough because of it, right? Mm. So, but then one day, so I joined the Toastmaster. One of the things I, I tried to get rid of my accent to become a better speaker was to join a Toastmaster. So one day when I, I, I was at the Toastmasters, I, wanted, I was going to give a speech and one of my evaluators said, well, what are you working on? I said, an accent, I wanna get rid of the accent. You know, help me with my enunciation. So he said to me, he said, why are you so worried about your accent? He yeah. said, if you just enunciate the words and speak a little slow, slower, he said, I understand you perfectly fine. He said, especially given the topic I was going to talk about that day was on immigration. Huh. He said, your accent gives you the credibility, you know, mm. when you talk about the specific subjects like immigration. So he said, why are you so worried about your accent? You know, don't worry about that. It's not important. It's your strengths. It gives you the credibility. So focus on other things. Mm. And that really opened a whole new door for me. From that day on, I do not worry about my accent at all. Good. And so... Good, so very good. if I can, yeah, so if I can see my younger self, uh, I can talk to my younger self again, I would tell her, save your money, buy some, <laughs> you know, buy a, buy a share of Amazon and rather than focus on trying to get her your accent. Uh, you know, that's, that's not really important. Good. That is yeah. a great, that is great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Awesome stuff. One, one last question. If you could put your core purpose in life, into a sentence, what would that sound like? Make this world a better place. How, how are you gonna do that? One person at a time. And <laughs> <laughs> like I said, the Red Metal Advisors is a mission-driven business. I, I focus on helping each of my client achieve financial freedom. So when they reach the financial freedom, when they get to live their life in a very meaningful, purposeful way, they're happy and their families are happy. And most of the things they choose to do are things that can make this world a better place. Ah. And so, so that's what I want. Okay, very good. To make this world a better place. Very good. 
Thank you so much for sharing your inspirational story. The awesome Rutterflex podcast stuff. features entrepreneurs, um, business so executives, real, and the, the stories by the behind how they, they got there, earlier. as well uh, as daily tips on career Red advice and job interviews. Com, Our show can yes. be heard just about okay. anywhere these Red days, Red but you can visit rutterflex.com and click on the, on the podcast page to hear all the previous the episodes but hang on and you learn hang up, more okay? about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.